Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, Canada's premier incubator. We'll talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, fundraising, and everything in between. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, tandemlaunch.com, to see what we're all about. Now on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Launch Podcast, sponsored by Tandem Launch. I'm your host, Bobby Vidochka, and today joining me is Glenda Dorchak, Board of Directors Extraordinaire. So Glenda is a global technology industry veteran whose 30-year operating career has spanned general management, CEO, chairman, chairperson roles uh, in the compute, semiconductor, and software sector. So thank you so much for being here, Glenda. Pleasure. I'm uh, a big fan of Tandem Launches. Real, real thrilled to be with uh, everybody today. Yay, love fans. Um, okay, so then let's you know start with the basics. So tell us a bit about yourself and your your career. Sure. Um, well, I've uh, started my career at IBM, and I've been in the technology industry my entire working career. Um, I became really fascinated. I was there when IBM was driving global tech, uh, PC adoption and just became fascinated with how technology was changing the way people lived and businesses operated. And from that point forward, I always was working on projects associated with new technologies coming into the marketplace. When I was at Intel, I was the initially the COO of the communications business, so driving networks and Wi-Fi adoption, and then went on to be the group general manager driving broadband and consumer electronics groups. So we were doing all the original IoT work and um, distributed networks, and it is it's just been a great ride. And now I'm able to work with companies that are doing technologies for electronic vehicles or for new user interfaces like Mirametrics. I used to be on the board of the tandem launch company, Mirametrics, that was acquired by Lattice. Um, I've been on uh, 18 boards over the course of 25 years, and three of those were where I was the CEO of the company. And I would say that CEO board experience really informed how I do my work today as an independent director. I'm, um, I love my work. It's, I'm not retired. Uh, this is definitely a full-time job, and we can talk about that um, a little bit later. But the uh, boards I'm on today are um, Wolf Speed, which is a company that does silicon carbide and gallium nitride solutions for electronic vehicles. Uh, ANSYS, which is the leading uh, provider of simulation software for engineers around the world. And um, Global Foundries, which just went uh, public in October last year and is one of the largest semiconductor manufacturers of the year, so uh, of the world. So it's been it's been a great experience, and I love what I do. I still have a place in Vancouver where I'm from, but I live in the Silicon Valley full time. Nice, nice. Wow. I mean, you have literally done it all. So, and 18 boards, that is phenomenal. So I cannot think of a better person um, to talk to us about the boardroom, which is what we're going to talk about today. This is a highly underrated and underestimated uh, topic of discussion. So everybody listen up. Um, Glenda has lots to share. So let's start with talking about what does a board actually do? You know, what do they spend their time on and how do they make decisions? Sure. The board's got three basic functions that 
define how we do our work. The first is governance. Um, every company has got some kind of articles of incorporation and the board's duty is to make sure that they're executed um, from a legal and a financial standpoint. Um, advisory, which is what I think is one of the best parts of the job, which is helping, you know, being a sounding board, helping um, CEOs and their staff think about the strategic direction that they're going in and what the ecosystem wants and what their markets want. Um, and the last is leadership. Really, really important. The board's not there to run the company. The board's there to get a great CEO and make sure they're motivated and incentivized with a great comp package and let them do their work. Um, and that is, as I said, it, you know, I think it's really, really important that boards um, keep to their uh, main purpose, which is this governing and advisory and leadership role and let the companies do their job. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about leadership. So what does that mean in a board setting? Well, um, there are different roles inside the board and the way the board works. And, and every board I've been involved with, even ones that are um, angel invested companies use work um, from a committee standpoint to help support the company. So typically you see um, an audit function or a compensation function because people are so important. Everyone's competing for talent these days. And um, even at uh, Mirametrics uh, in its very early days, we formed a compensation and people committee to help provide the tools for the CEO to get the best people he could get. So from a leadership standpoint, it's making sure that, um, that the, all of the tools are there, that the company needs to, as I said, compensation systems, uh, financial systems, and then also being really part of the structure of thinking through how the board meetings should work, getting the agendas done, often talking offline with other directors. Um, to, to uh, some people may think that board meetings are those two days, you know, once a quarter that you get together. And uh, I would say on every board I'm involved with, at least once a week, I'm doing something either with the company or with one of my fellow board members. It could be preparing for a committee meeting coming up or talking about a challenge or a competitor. Um, and, you know, ideally, if you get people on your board that know your industry and know your technology, you can make sure they can be an asset to you in terms of helping you uh, be aware of issues that maybe you haven't seen before. So um, the time is spent outside of the boardroom on things that support the company. Um, and the leadership occurs in the boardroom in terms of uh, when there's a crisis and there needs to be, for example, financing, if, if the, the company is getting close to the end of its financial runway. Um, I've seen boards mobilize in, in really focused manners to actually rise to the occasion to bring new money or to create debt or do the things to buy the company the, the runway it needs to do what it what it's what it's destined to do. So, um, so there, so leadership happens in a lot of ways. Last point I'll make is this one about how important it is to have a great CEO. Um, I, there, every board is comprised of people with different skills. I come in as a general manager CEO, but there are people that come in as auditors or, or financial investors or, or legal backgrounds. I think it's really important to make sure that 
that the board understands that their job is to do the governing and, and advisory and let the CEO do their job. So to do that, you've got to get somebody that you're you're really confident in and make sure their financial rewards are really aligned to their success and, and the company's success. And then everybody wins. Um, yeah, I think that there's a, there's definitely a shift there um, with, and the, yeah, there's a, there's a, people have an idea of, of what a board is like. Um, and I think maybe even sometimes they're a bit, people are a bit scared of their board and they don't want to talk to them about certain things, but we'll get um, to that topic a little bit later. So um, what about, so some of our audience may actually be interested in board work. Um, So what advice uh, would you have for someone looking to have their first board experience? So what I would suggest to people when they're thinking about their own board career um, is to really look inward and, and understand where you're, abilities lie. I think there's a a misunderstanding that that it's sort of if you've got general executive skills, that transfers well to the board. And it doesn't actually all the time. Mm. Boards don't spend a whole lot of time working on marketing activities. They don't spend a lot of time um, doing operational functions. They do tend to, and this is the strong skill set, strongest skill set are people that come in with P&L experience Um, whether that comes from the financial path or from general management. The other thing I'm a huge advocate for is people that have a technology, a deep technology background. You know, every every technology company, the CEO shouldn't be the only tech expert in the room. Um, And and so think about what your skills and expertise are and and what kinds of companies you want to be involved with. I personally always look really hard and fast at what the technology is that the company is is developing and what their market opportunity is and and weigh whether this is something that has a big opportunity or not. And if it does, then it's worth taking years and years because often, especially on the private companies, we do that work for an equity position and, um, and you're not doing it for your income. You're doing it to support the company's growth. And so you want something that's got a good long runway. So um, find your, find your space where you will bring value. Then look at the group of companies that, um, that fit the model of what you're interested in. And I always really encourage people to then look at go actually go online everybody's board of directors is on on a website see if you know anybody that's connected to these people and actually don't wait for an executive recruiter to call a vast majority of board seats come through networking people that know each other especially if it's in a smaller um a smaller company Mm -hmm. and i think there's a great opportunity for you to network and find opportunities that that fit your requirements. One other thing, last thing I'd add is there's also now a lot more uh, expectation that boards will be diverse. Um, And that's not just diverse in experience, but diverse in background and and, uh, gender and everything. And I think that that's opened up opportunities um, that just didn't exist for people 10 years ago. And so a lot of the universities have really good board preparedness programs that, um, that are great um, ways to get up to speed. You know, the first time I 
ran a board meeting, I actually had to have the general counsel write out for me a script. So I knew how to call for for something to be a motion to be passed because I just didn't understand the, I didn't have the rhythm yet of how a board worked. So get a little education, look for your strengths, and then use your network to find that, that great little diamond in the rough company and, and really add value. I discourage people from trying to land their first you know, billion dollar public company board. It, it just, you know, I got my experience doing things in smaller companies, building my skills, learning how to contribute at a committee level and at the board level. And then it, over time, you you gain a, uh, more experience and you're able to take the bigger boards on. But it starts by really helping a company and a CEO and, and a board that's smaller quite often. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm big on um, being proactive. Like I always tell people, don't wait for a job post to apply on go to the company that aligns with their values and the things that you want to do and, and seek them out. And people, I think underestimate the, the efficacy of being proactive. Um, And it certainly helps people on the other end. Oh, great. I don't have to go searching for board members. Someone came to me. This is amazing. Um, And the chances of you being aligned, I think are, are much higher in that way. Um, So we hear a lot about, corporate culture and company culture, but apparently there's something called board culture. <laughs> so uh, let's hear more about that. Qualified today for what's going on. So the culture is a byproduct of all of us in the room. Um, and the best boards uh, support each other. Like there's high degrees of trust. There's a willingness to um, engage in conflict. You, you, you know, if you, Avoid conflict, that leads to things like, you know, somebody that should be removed from a board or removed from an operating role or, um, you know, avoiding something till the last minute when there's a financial issue that a company has got, they need money, but there's disagreement over dilution around how to recapitalize. And if you don't get that, if you aren't afraid to have those discussions, if you are afraid to have those discussions, sorry. it means that that you won't get the best outcome for the company. So, so the best directors are unafraid of conflict. They're committed and engaged, and they're accountable. Um, and I think the accountability of boards has increased substantially over the over the last decade because uh, investors, especially institutional investors, are expecting way more of boards and the work they do than than they did. And we could talk about you know how things have changed a bit, but board culture, you know, share the oxygen. Last point is I call it the art of the question. Um, You know, you're not asking questions to make yourself an expert on something. You're asking questions to help the management team think about a problem in a different way. Mm -hmm. And if you've got some experience where you know that there might be some blind spot that they've got they haven't you know maybe there's a competitive force they're not aware of or some kind of law where or financial constraint that they're going to have to deal with if you can ask questions in an open-ended manner you can expand the way the team is thinking and help them strengthen them help them grow so you know when bad board culture is when someone asks a question to try and look smart you know so you, you want to try and do it in a way that it helps people, um, people think differently about the issues that they're dealing with. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think that might be why some CEOs and founders kind of are afraid of the board. Like, oh, they're going to ask me questions, and if I don't have the perfect answer, I'm going to get in trouble, and they're going to think I'm terrible, and they're going to fire me, and I don't want to tell them all the bad stuff. So, like, would you give what kind of advice would you give um, to C-suite uh, individuals um, on how to deal with their board? And is there something they do that you just wish they wouldn't do that? Um, I will tell you that, that the board, if, you know, as I said at the beginning, my CEO experience informed how I do my board work. And I look back on my early, uh, CEO board work and I had a lot to learn. Uh, and, but one thing I, because that company dealt with a, had a crisis, there was no doubt that the board, um, mobilized and helped me in a way that I didn't even know they could. So, you know, I like to think of the board as sort of the 13th man on the team. They're not, you know, there's a clear line in the sand. They're not running the company. They aren't doing your job as CEO. You're there to do the job. But they are an incredible wealth of resources, both experientially as well as financially. And and um, and so my pet peeve is the number of times that uh, management teams will come in and you've got a you've got a three hour meeting and they will spend, they'll come in with a 200 page deck full of information, you know, giving updates on, on sales conquests and, and uh, PR and things like that. And then 15 minutes, you know, is left in the meeting and, and we get to the part where, you know, we're sitting down with the CEO and, and he's privately and he says, you know, we just lost such and such an order. And I, you know, I've got a cash flow problem the month after next kind of thing. In other words, spending a lot of time telling the happy stories about what the board is doing and, and sort of, as you said, being uncomfortable talking about the difficult stuff. And, you know, the thing we expect is that we know you're doing good work all the time. You know, you wouldn't be in the job if we didn't think you were doing good work all the time. You don't have to reinforce that. Yes. Do an executive summary at the beginning of the good stuff, and um, but don't don't waste all the time with your board talking about everything that's great and and hiding the other stuff because this is where the board can help. And so I would say a few things um, in terms of CEOs and their boards. Um, one is set really clear expectations. If don't be like don't sign up for something because one enthusiastic director said, I think you should hit a hundred million dollars next year in revenue. You know, that's what such and such a company did. If that's not the path you've got, if you've thought it through and you've got another path, I mean, the end game still has to be the same. You want your company to grow and be profitable and, and, and be successful, but you don't have to get it on the same path as everybody else. So really be prepared to stand up to your for your company and and with the board, um, and don't don't um, don't hide the issues that you've got. Help help them help you with with the things that have to change. So be transparent. So just so that to help everybody who might not fully um, understand the composition of a board. So you have your CEO um, and other C-suite individuals by their choice or the founders, plus if you have institutional investors, um, depending on um, the agreements, they will have some seats. Independent board members like yourself um, who have been brought on 
who are not investors. That's the whole, you know, hence the independent part. Um, but with expertise and board member expertise and um, um, sector ec- expertise, are there other people who are invited or have have a seat? Um, like when I say seat, I mean there's people in the room, and then there's you know voting members. Right. So so in smaller boards, you can often have observers. So when I was at Intel, my team, you know, we were making investments in technologies and small companies that we felt had influential long-term technologies. But we weren't there to be on their boards, but we always had a board observer seat negotiated into the financing. Mm. You know, a board, a smaller board, um, meaning a company that's round numbers, less than $50 million of revenue um, is is going to probably be relatively small. There'll be um, say five members, maybe with a couple of uh, couple of uh, observers. Um, if boards get too big when the company is small, it becomes, as I said earlier, you're doing you're doing consensus decision making. It becomes a lot more unwieldy. Mm-hmm. So I've always encouraged. You know, it's better to have a smaller, more focused board. Um, and by the time when you're a, when you're a public company, you'll see that you know boards as small as seven. But typical sort of small cap, large, medium cap boards will only be nine people, um, and there's no observers in those situations. You've got one and sometimes two. Um, uh, members of the company, so the CEO and sometimes a founder, sometimes like a CTO or um, sometimes a CFO. Mm-hmm. Um, so tip, maybe two, up to two um, insiders. And then uh, the rest can be a combination of, you know, people who have been the investors and then the operators. And as you get closer to a, an IPO, by the way, I've come into a couple of companies where um, the company was within um, you know, a couple of years of going public and or preparing to go public and they start the um, investor directors start to peel off um, because they want the independence and, and of being able to manage their investment without the duty that a public company director has to have and mm-hmm. the restrictions, which includes trading stock. We're very restricted. We have to, you know, there's processes by which you get approval for for trading stock. So once you're a public company director, so um, smaller boards, you know, will sometimes have two or three observers. Um, But when I was the CEO of Virtual Logics, which was an Intel invested company, had this fantastic um, layer one virtualization technology that's in every cell phone that's in the world today. It's a, a really fascinating company. But we had uh, three venture investors and and three um, strategics, meaning Intel was one, Cisco was one, Motorola was one. Um, and so you get these blended boards of people that are executives working for large corporations that represent that. And they, these were board seats, not observer seats. Um, but I also, in my tandem launch experience, we had, uh, because a lot of the technology comes out of the university systems, 
We often, you know, we had a, a UBC um, observer who it was terrific to, to have someone from that from UBC on the on the board as an observer. So, you know, it it varies. But I, my one piece of advice is try and keep your board from getting too big. You know, if it's if at this stage you don't want to have to manage a large load of logistics with a with a board, even just calling together meetings when there's yeah. a large in an emergency yeah. and there's always an emergency it's yeah. really hard so yeah exactly just booking the meeting in the first place um great okay thank you for clarifying that um so you alluded to it a little bit earlier but you know the workplace has changed significantly over the last um decade or so so you know how is how is board boards or board dynamics changed and you know what are any current trends or things like that um, the environment today has changed, particularly in the last 10 years, dramatically. Um, one is uh, because investors, institutional investors particularly, have become more active. And I don't, I, I consider that an incredibly good thing. Um, I think every investor should be active, meaning they understand their companies, they monitor what's going on, and they have some expectations. Um, and, and, um, so they obviously the priority has been over the last couple of years establishing standards for environmental, social, and governance (ESG). Um, a tremendous push into diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, but also the the whole um, you know clean tech, healthy planet initiatives around zero carbon emissions and carbon footprint and and um, and the things that companies are doing to um, make the world better or sustainable. Um, and so boards are, so there's a larger um, burden put into how are, what are the goals the company has, getting the companies to publish the state of their um, ESG initiatives. Um, another thing is the work in terms of um, things like compensation. You know, some of these, if you get on a larger company, there's, you know, these are compensation is one of the most significant variable factors that the, the company and the board is responsible for administering. And there is much more oversight. Um, and that's true. It started with um, Sarbanes-Oxley in terms of oversight of the financial side and then Dodd-Frank for oversight of compensation matters. And the, those rules, by the way, while they were driven into the rules the SEC administers for pub, public companies, um, the standards have, have spread to public and private companies. I think directors use the same duty of care and, and duty of, um, of loyalty and candor uh, as they do often with public companies uh, and the, those standards. So, um, there are those sort of requirements. The other thing I was thinking about um, when you mentioned this to me when we uh, the lot, when we prepared, um, I've thought about it since and thought, you know, one of the things that's changed is um, when I was operating a company as a CEO, you know, I started, I can't remember how many years ago, keeping my mobile phone next to the side of my bed and I might mute it for a few hours, but, you know, it was, I was, you know, I went to sleep and I was on again in the morning. The interesting thing is with the work I do on my boards, I still am doing that because our companies are global. 
even smaller technology companies, and, and I know you have lots of fantastic Canadian um, businesses that Tandem Launch supports, but their customers are global. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, you know, you can't get up at seven o'clock in the morning and decide to look at your email at 10 because, you know, something last night could have happened with a customer in China and there needs to be a discussion about, uh, you know, the, the, or the board needs to be called together because there is some kind of existential threat. So I think the work of the board has become much more, we're much more uh, present. We're much more engaged um, and we have to be more agile. So, you know, you might prepare for a board meeting in a certain fashion, but something happens the night before a board meeting and the CEO comes in and says, you know, we're going to reduce the time we spent on this and that presentation because I want to have an hour to have a discussion with you about um, how we're handling, uh, how, how, how I feel the organization needs to change over the, the coming year in terms of talent because we've just had a significant resignation. So those kinds of things where you're more present, more engaged um, is definitely a sign of board work in, in later years. And it, it ties to the fact that we, you know, we're in a world which is pervasive computing. I mean, we're, we're our computers and our media is functioning 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And our businesses, the companies that we support are all, their markets are, are seven by 24 markets. And, and you have to support that. So I think there are trends holding boards to higher standards for how they govern. I also think there are behavioral operating changes, which is this constant support and focus, or, you know, somebody I'm on, on my way after this meeting to meet with, uh, have a coffee nearby with several directors of uh, one of my company boards. And we're doing this because it's just good practice. There are a number of things that companies going through, interested to um, hear my fellow board members' perspectives on those things and on what's going on in any specific industry that's related to the company. So we're doing things to stay current and stay mm -hmm. engaged with the company, both in the boardroom and out. And I just think that standard has been raised significantly over the last few years, which is why I'm not retired. This is definitely this is definitely a full time job, um, and it's something I enjoy immensely. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, there's just so much more to it these days. I mean, I I really people care more about, especially the younger generations, about the climate and the environment and social causes and things like that. And the the you know companies that fall behind on that, you know, if you don't have sort of that embedded in your company, like they just people now align their values um, with their purchases. And um, I mean, if, you know, corporations used to have, well, they probably still do a little bit, but um, you know, this, this reputation of being these non-caring who cares only profit driven entities. Um, and so, you know, baking in regulations that, you know, whether you believe it as a value it's in it's in the regulations now. You have to care about ESG. You have to care about these things. It's good for business. It's good for the planet. It's good for everybody. Um, so that's really great. But I mean, also, I mean, look at what's going on. You know, these days, you have a global pandemic. You have thing political things going on around the world that affect business. I mean, most businesses are multi multinational. Um, you know, not border driven. So yeah, it's really important that you keep your finger on the pulse 
um, morning, noon, and night, because yeah, you never know what you're going to wake up to, right? It's um, actually something we missed, sorry for interrupting, but something we missed that probably is a, also every, everybody that's probably watching this podcast is going through some kind of pro issue with whether they're meeting in an office or not. Every single board is spending time with the management team to understand what the, the guidelines will be and how to support the workplace because work apart and live remote is a reality now. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yes, I mean, that, that March, April 2020 period, and I was on six boards at that time, I've had a couple acquired, but um, basically, we were working all day and all night for every company trying to figure out how to shut the companies down, the ones that weren't deemed to be essential businesses, and how to make sure our employees were safe. Now we're in a situation where the competition for talent and the ability because of fantastic networks and great technology, you know, if you're in a, in a software company with fantastic developers, they can be doing that work in another city. You know, how, how do you create um, a functional company that is able to, to achieve its potential and do it with the best people but how do you adapt the workplace to that? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it's um, it is it is a it's still dynamic. And I think I don't think we'll ever go back to exactly the environment we were in in 2019. I don't think the the whole you know corporate real estate model of um, having you know everybody that works for a company in a corporate uh, desk is going mm -hmm. to to ever come back because. Virtual work environments are have proven to be effective. Board, by the way, board works. I only have one board that meets in person, um, and we're all starting to come back now because everybody's vaccinated and um, and you know they go through tests before we enter the boardroom. But you know, I think we've proven we can actually do our jobs through some kind of virtual um, video. Yeah. So it's it's. The whole thing about the work environment is is really one of the things that, you know, I think so many boards and directors are spending time thinking about how to um, support the companies to be able to adapt. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's influx uh, that is for sure, and there's I think there's some ESG upside um, to the pandemic here because, like you said, we can we can do some stuff remotely now. So um, I understand, Glenda, that you are open to some new board member or board advisory um, opportunities. Uh, specific, everyone to the Pacific uh, time zone or the West Coast, preferably. Um, so anyone who's looking for a super awesome board member. Uh, <laughs> And who knows her shit, uh, then please reach out to Glenda Dorchak on LinkedIn. So uh, thank you again, Glenda, for joining us. This was really critical, mission critical information. Um, and it was a real pleasure having you. Well, I appreciate, Bobby, the, the invitation. And again, I'm a big fan of everything you're doing at Tandem Launch and, and love uh, the chance to have a chat with so the, the metaverse about what's going on in the boardroom. And by the way, people don't have to reach out to me about board seats. If you ever want to uh, to bounce a question off about how to deal with your board, you can reach me that way, and I, and I can share my email from there. So, excellent. Happy to 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Glenda. And thank you very much to our loyal listeners. Your time is always appreciated. You can follow us on social media, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. If you like what you see in here, hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, share the podcast, and follow us on social media.